1: I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. Yesterday, President Biden marked 500,000 lives lost to COVID-19. We often hear people described as ordinary Americans. There's no such thing. There's nothing ordinary
2: about them. The people we lost were extraordinary.
1: But while, thankfully, daily cases and deaths are declining, the pandemic is still affecting the economy in profound ways. Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell is on Capitol Hill as we record this podcast. He's explaining to lawmakers exactly what's going on with the economy as they mull over the president's $1.9 trillion stimulus plan. Powell said, quote, the economic recovery remains uneven and far from complete, and the path ahead is highly uncertain. Neela Richardson is following all of this very closely, and she can explain both the big picture and what all these numbers mean for you. She's chief economist for ADP. Hi, Neela. Hi, Sasha. Good to be with you. Neela, tell us how significant it is that the Federal Reserve Chair is giving an update to Congress right now.
2: Well, it's an update that Congress needs to hear, especially as they are contemplating this $1.9 trillion relief plan. Because there's going to be a question of whether this plan is too big and whether it is directed in its most efficient usage. So I think Chairman Powell's testimony will help connect some dots to members of Congress. So this, this isn't just an ordinary testimony, which he does, you know, twice a year, every year. Yeah, this is a testimony that feeds into a vote that could affect millions of Americans, that takes on added significance. And so it's really important that they
1: hear his messages. Well, he's been discussing uh, employment and inflation goals and the progress that's needed there. Uh, we're going to dive into that soon, Neela. But first, I, I want to better understand the inflation discussion. Can you explain that? <laughs>
2: um, l- let me just be very transparent. The inflation discussion is all over the place. Okay. There has been more views on of inflation than I've seen in a very long time. Some people are saying, and these are experts, these are economists, PhDs, well-recognized Thought leaders who are saying that inflation is a concern because of mounting fiscal debt, debt that could even get larger with a $1.9 trillion spending plan. There are others that say that COVID-19 has been a depressant on inflation that's going to keep a lid on the overall uh, price increases and that we haven't seen any real threat from inflation in a decade or more. So Why should we be concerned now? There are bigger problems that are more immediate for the economy. I I tend to fall a bit more into the latter camp. Inflation is not the concern now that it was in the 70s and 80s. But like all risk, it should be managed and watched very carefully.
1: Maybe the fact that this conversation is all over the place is a part of the problem. Um, (laughs) And well, give us a sense then, Neela, of how the economy is doing right now.
2: Well, the economy is uneven, and I think there's a risk that the headline numbers will mask the real pain that is being felt by individuals. What I mean by this is that we ended last year with economic GDP growth just 2% under 2019 levels. Given all the disruption and interruption in the jobs market and goods and services and trade, who would have thought that we'd just be 2% short? But that number really belies the problem. We're not back to the same growth trajectory we were pre-pandemic. And then there are sectors of the economy that are really hurting, whether it's Actual industries like leisure and hospitality or the jobs market, which is still 10 million jobs short of where it was pre pandemic. It is uneven. And uh, the fact is that low income individuals are feeling the brunt of the pandemic, uh, much more so than anyone else.
1: Well, you mentioned the industries. Make it clear for us what industries are struggling the most.
2: It's really the ones that have been front-facing, the ones that rely on close social contact as a, a way of doing business. It's yeah. restaurants, it's bars, it's theme parks, it's cruise ships, it's airlines. It's all those things that connect individuals physically. Um, what's done well in the pandemic are those that digitally connect people. That's why tech has benefited from the COVID-19 economy. So part of the, the issue is kind of spreading the recovery out to those hard hit sectors. And part of the issue is spreading the recovery to those hard hit individuals. Both need to happen in order for this economic recovery to be fulsome Mm -hmm. and complete. And the risk is, is that if there are any drags, either on the industry side or on the people side, it actually will lead to a slowdown in growth. It will anchor growth in the future. And that's what you don't want.
1: Well, if Congress is to to spend that $1.9 trillion uh, from Biden's stimulus plan, how much impact might that have on the recovery, specifically just getting those dollars into circulation? It could
2: be mixed and dependent on how it's executed. So part of the, the stimulus dollars goes to amplifying the vaccine rollout, and I think there should be at least widespread agreement that the more we inoculate, the more we vaccinate, the more we put in safety protocols, the faster and easier it is for uh, cities, companies, individuals to get back in reengaging in the economy in the normal way. So. Money going to that effort seems to make a lot of sense. What's more controversial and has a big price tag is direct payments to consumers, especially given the unevenness of the impact. Mm -hmm. Giving another round of direct payments to people who may save it or invest it in the stock market is not likely to be the best use of dollars. Targeting that money to people, uh, to small businesses impacted by COVID-19 would generate Far better result, economically speaking, uh, to giving it to people who don't need it.
1: Well, let's jump to the phones. Neela Morgan is waiting. Uh, Morgan's calling from Edgewater and has a question about the social worker uh, industry. Hi, Morgan.
2: So I work for a social services agency as a social worker, and I'm just curious about what the state of the social service industry will look like amid a recovery and if there's anything specified for it in this recovery package. I've known people who've lost their jobs and programs have been cut amidst a pandemic when the most vulnerable need the most help. Thanks, Morgan. Well, thank you for your, your work in this field, and I couldn't agree more. Part of the fallout, and I'm an economist, so I, I won't be able to say a lot of directly on the social work industry specifically. That's not my field, I'm I, sorry to say, but what I can say is that not only have individuals been impacted economically, but mentally, socially. There are real mental effects that are just being understood for children, for workers that have been displaced, for people whose stress, life stress has been amplified and exacerbated maybe by even personal loss of a family member or a friend. So what it's clear is the value of social work has never been more needed. And, um, Hopefully, that is part of the consideration of Congress when they think about hard-hit industries and the efficient use of dollars, that social work, mental health, and the need to get people both mentally, physically, and financially back on their feet uh, all comes into play.
1: Neela, has anything surprised you with how the economy has responded to this, this pandemic over the past year? Like, Were there spots that you, were predicted to not do so well that were able to stay successful or even find new success? Yeah, housing. (laughs) Housing has
2: really taken off during the pandemic. And it's surprising and it's not surprising. It does uh, feed back into our need to nest when confronted with, (laughs) with challenges that are external. So the fact that there is demand for homes is not all that surprising. But what is surprising is how fast housing rebounded and skyrocketed based on really bad job conditions and maybe a sense of job insecurity among some. I think what housing's performance has showed is that this is a K-shaped recovery with some people feeling absolutely comfortable and confident and bolstered by rock-bottom interest rates in purchasing a home. And along with that, asset prices in general. I mean, the stock market really only had two bad weeks in March. <laughs> and since then, it's had a really good run rate. And if you could have told me uh, a year ago that the stock market would be where it is now, mm. I would would have been flabbergasted.
1: Wow. Neela, you gave us some stats earlier, but I'm, I'm wondering what the latest numbers are when it comes to weekly jobless claims.
2: Right. So, You know, we've had this push and pull and hope of improvement. I think that the important thing for your listeners to know is that jobless claims are heading in the wrong direction as they were last week. They actually went up instead of down. And not only that, they've settled in at higher numbers than we've seen at any previous recession. So last week's jobless claims were 861,000. In the previous recession, uh, jobless claims never got above Mm 700,000. So we're already settling, stabilizing at record highs, even though they've come down a bit, that is problematic from the labor market perspective.
1: Well, to that point, uh, Federal Reserve Chairman Powell and Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen and many other economists say that the 6.3 percent U.S. unemployment rate is misleading because so many people have dropped out of the workforce completely and are no longer being counted. What's your take?
2: Sasha, that's why um, I hope your listeners and, and Congress frankly looks past the headline numbers because they are uh, masking some real discrepancies underneath. The reason why that number looks so low is because so many people have just left. They've left the jobs market because of health concerns. They can't go back to the jobs that they were doing because there's a real fear that they'll transmit the virus and bring it home to someone or to themselves. Um, They've left because of childcare responsibilities. Women have been impacted at four times the rate of men in terms of uh, job loss and leaving the labor force because women tend to have more child care and family responsibilities. And so you add all these people who have left the jobs market and you realize that the rate is artificially low and it really masks uh, a lot of the dynamics that are going on currently.
1: Yesterday on the show, Neela, we uh, talked about the influx of Chicago area workers to the gig economy. Of course, that's happening across the country. And we talked about the the sort of risks that could come with taking up contract work. How does having individuals who have stable jobs and stable savings impact the greater economy? You
2: know, I think that Uh, stability should be a goal as a matter of public policy. One thing that has dismayed me a little bit, and I'll get to the gig workers, is that we're just discussing bringing back these jobs back. The 10 million people who had a job in February don't have one now. We just wanna bring those jobs back. But we know that these are the most vulnerable jobs it's not just a one-time thing with COVID. These are the jobs that typically you see the biggest layoffs and losses in. How do we stabilize those jobs? How do we make them less vulnerable to economic cycles? This is the time for policymakers to think through this. And as it applies to gig work, you know, gig work has um, some advantages for some people in terms of lifestyle and flexibility. And for those who, who can, that makes a lot of sense. But how do we fortify the gig industry with a bit of stability? That's a policy question that I think will take up more time. I hope to take up more time when we think about the future of work.
1: Well, what do we know about how well the economy might bounce back later this year? (laughs)
2: Well, I think there's widespread agreement that as uh, inoculation becomes more widespread and as businesses begin to open up again and local uh, municipalities begin to lessen their social restrictions, There's a lot of things going for the economic recovery. One is pent-up demand. I mean, a lot of people are going to be really eager to see a movie or Mm -hmm. go on a plane or take go (laughs) to grandma. I mean, so that demand is kind of unleashed, which is a good thing for the economy. And then we have these rock-bottom interest rates, which should um, help keep uh, that cheap financing to businesses and individuals ongoing. So that's going to be helpful, too.
1: Neil, I'm always looking for some source of of good news a- any positives that uh, have come out of this any any long term positive consequences that we might experience
2: I think that's a rethink of work there is A very American approach to work where you need to be in the office eight and a half hours a day in order to justify your salary. And I think what companies are seeing is a rethink about flexibility. And I hope that we engage in a conversation about how to support people with family responsibilities as we transition back to the world of work. I expect there to be some new trends on the horizon, some new ways of working that makes it easier for American families to manage work and life and balance.
1: All right, let's jump to one more caller. Zane is waiting from Skokie. Hi, Zane, what's your question? So I have a question. I work in a commercial
2: real estate practice, and I want to just know her thoughts that uh, how the office space looks like in next next six to 12 months since we are working remotely and how this economic recovery plan will going to help us to bring the employees
1: back to the office space. Thank you.
2: Uh, that's a great question. And commercial real estate is one of those that it's very different from housing. Instead of taking off, it's really been impacted by uh, the fact that people are working from home. I do think that businesses reopen. I think that from shopping malls to other corporate facilities, um, we do get a revitalization of the office space, but it may look very different. There is some benefits from us all working together in one location. And I think um, that will never go away. However, the footprint might be smaller. And so that's going to be the question companies are going to make. Do, does everyone come back into the office? And how big of space do they need to lease, rent, or own in order to accommodate the workforce? So I think commercial real estate will take longer to recover than some of these other industries, because there are long-term decisions that will have to be made now to anticipate the needs of corporate America in the future.
1: Yeah, we also talked about what the future of office work could look like post-COVID. So uh, we did that on on yesterday's program. I also want to squeeze in a message that we got from a listener on Facebook. They wanted us to mention the music and theater or entertainment industry uh, and, and says, you know, we've been out of work since March 14th, and we still don't know Uh, when we will work again. So we'll definitely have some future conversations about that as well. But this is uh, Neela Richardson, ADP Chief Economist, and she has been updating us on where the economy is at right now. Neela, such a pleasure. Thank you so much for breaking that down. It was a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. And that's today's Reset. Like what you hear? Want other people to be able to find us? Take a few seconds and give us a rating and review. Thanks for that, and thanks for listening. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We'll meet again tomorrow.